Greetings. Welcome to Elm City Lit Fest podcast. I'm Ife Michelle Gardine. This is Shaw McAllister. We are a part of the Lit Fest team. Elm City Lit Fest is a celebration of literature, literary arts, and literary artists of the African diaspora. And this evening, we are so happy to um, talk to one of New Haven's own. New Haven is the Elm City. New Haven, Connecticut. We are uh, happy to talk to one of the Elm City's own, Stacey Graham Hunt, about her book, Processing Pain. Processing Pain. <laughs> the theme, um, this is Women's History Month. And um, I wanted to address one of the themes, a theme for this show in particular, was how Black women cope and how the in, in her book, Processing Pain, Stacy is very open and raw about how the the things that she's going through, the things that she's gone through in life to get into this. Because black, as black women, people always say we're strong black women and we're this and we're that. We go through some stuff <laughs> and we have resilience. And we learn how to cope, but we still have to process our pain. And there's some things we carry. And Sha? Stacy, Stacy, Stacy. Just for context for folks, I've, I've never really had a chance to really speak one-on-one with Stacy. I've seen you in meetings, but I've never had a chance to really have a, have a full moment and chop it up with you. But reading this book, I feel like we've chopped it up. We've gone to dinner. We've had. We've hung out. We've gone on sleepovers. So the this says a personal essays, and you really get the person that person. I'm messing up the word, but y'all know what I'm saying. Of that, like this, truly are your experiences from a very open and vulnerable place. Um, was this book, a, a, in a sense, a release for you? Yes. Um, it started. I. I started sharing essays on Facebook. I was actually going through a breakup at the time. And part of me, you know, when I was just kind of mad anyway about the breakup. And it was kind of like, well, how did I get to this place? And then I just started writing and I just took a risk and I shared one of the essays on Facebook. And it was the first one about my great grandfather passing away and having Alzheimer's and experiencing that as a nine year old. and. You know, he's sick. I knew he was sick, but then he died and I didn't know what that meant. And, you know, just we were playing together one day and then the next day I was at his funeral. So that was the first essay that I shared. And it was like five o'clock in the morning. And I was like, I'm going to delete this. I don't know why I'm oversharing on Facebook like this. But then as soon as I was like getting the confirmation to delete, um, someone decided to like it. And so then I was like, OK, well, I'll leave it up here. And then each, that gave me the courage to share another story. And then like every week people were like responding and commenting and having their own conversations about my experiences and how they affected them. So it turned into like a little community um, every Thursday morning. And so then a few people suggested that I put the essays together in a book. And so that's what I did. And you opened the book, I believe, with the with the essay about your granddad. Is that and I, I think that's something important to talk about what grieving looks like for children. Mm. And I feel like you don't really parents don't really allot the whole 
life after death situation to you. So it really is, you're visiting your loved one and then you're seeing them in a casket. That, that was a very similar situation I had with me and my godfather. Like I was going to see him all the time. And then the trips just kind of slowed down. And, yeah. then, and then I saw him in this casket. Like, okay, well, how did we get here? What's happening? Where did my friend go? Where? Yeah. And then it's like, well, what did I do something? Like, why did you leave me? Mm. So I think it makes me wonder about how parents, I'm, the Lord has not blessed me in that way. I, so, which is cool. Fantastic. But I, do you think children can handle that conversation of death and what it looks like? So the interesting thing is I went to visit Booker T. Washington in school. Um, one of the teachers there asked me, asked me to, you know, just talk about what it meant to be a writer. And I, sh I was trying to like shuffle through my stories, like what can children, you know, I was going to a fourth grade class. So I'm like, what happened to me when I was nine? And so that was the story I chose. And so I read it to them and it turned into a whole grief counseling session. And I was not prepared for that. You know, the children were like, my father died, my mother died, my grandmother died. And, you know, the kids are crying. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like I need more time. We only have like 40 minutes. But I was surprised at how ready they were to talk about it and how once they had this space to talk about it, they were ready. I mean, they were ready to talk about it. And it was me who was caught off guard. They weren't, it was me. They, but they were ready. And, and I, I think sometimes we underestimate children and their ability to express their emotions. I think sometimes we're not ready, like I wasn't ready. So we tell them, you know, not right now, or stop crying, or, you know, but they're ready. I think children are ready. That's a fact. You figure they absorb everything. These kids are more tech savvy than most mm -hmm. adults. And, and for someone who's observing a lot of the time, you figure they, they should have an opinion created. It's that I think their mind is a little bit more depth than we give them credit for. And also, I feel like children have that raw, you know, emotion. They're not so, you know, jaded by all of their experiences. Mm -hmm. Like if they feel sad, they'll tell you, like my son, he's three. I feel sad, I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm happy. The other day I was frustrated about something. He was like, mom, just be happy. Like, and he's trying to, you know, he's getting his toys and he's trying to make me smile. I just think that they are, uh, they might not always have the words for how they're feeling, but I think they are very in touch with happiness and sadness and joy and what that looks like and what it feels like. And they want people around them to be happy and to, and I feel like I express myself to him more because he gives me the space to do that. So it kind of mm -hmm. works both ways. Like he's so open to emotions and talking about emotions that sometimes I find myself like talking to him about how I feel. <laughs> it's like children will teach you something. It's like, you are absolutely right. We should mm -hmm. be talking about this, but mm -hmm. thank you for setting this space. Yes. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he's like my little counselor. Um, as, as most children, as most children are, and I feel like children are there to guide you. I think we get wrapped up and we have to show them what's the way. But this mm -hmm. is a two-way street. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your journey as a writer? I know in the book you, as you had a group, you got an internship the way I've never seen no one else get an internship. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what your experience was working where you were working? Sure. So I started out as a business major um, in a five-year MBA program. And the interesting thing is that I went, well, it was to go to Florida A&M University. And 
I originally was gonna be a like radio media television major, but then I got this scholarship to um, be a business major. So I was like, okay, I'll do it for the money. And I heard that business majors made a lot of money, but I found myself like not, I did okay in the program, but I wasn't really like engaged. And I found that when I was started doing internships, um, like at corporations and stuff, I just really wasn't into it. Um, and so, a lot of my, I think you're talking, you're talking about bad boy, right? Yes. Okay. So a lot of, a lot of like my experience um, has been tied to music. So music has always, because I went to like predominantly white schools, I always felt like music kept me connected to like, to my blackness or to like my old friends from Dixwell Avenue. Cause we could always talk about music. Like we might not have had the same vacation schedule. We might not have had the same stuff we were learning in school, but we could always talk about music. So I always felt like no matter what I was doing, even now, like I just, music is such a big part of who I am. So when I was in um, college, I was watching um, Making the Bands. I love that show. And um, so I would watch the show and I would write down everybody's names. I said, I'm going to work there. I'm, I was determined that I was going to work at Bad Boy. Like, I, and I don't know, I just, just from watching the show. So I, um, anytime one of the executives came on the screen, I would write their names down and I would send them my resume. And no one would write me back. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to send them something else. So then I was, then I think the next thing I did, so I sent them my resume, then I sent them um, like a, a thank you card with my resume in it. Like, thank you for reading my resume. And by the way, <laughs> here it is again. And so then no one wrote me back. So then I made like these bookmarks and I put my resume on these like bookmarks <laughs> and I sent them to them. And I was like, if they don't write back, I'm gonna make a shirt. I'm gonna put my, I was, I was just so determined to work there. And it just became like something I was really interested in because I wasn't really that interested in my classes, but this became like just a side project. Mm -hmm. um, so then finally someone called back and they were like, it was from the finance department and they, they said that they wanted me, to, you know, they wanted to talk more in an interview. And I was like, yeah, right. And so, I mean, even <laughs> though I was putting forth all this effort, I was still was surprised. So, um, when I got there, the funny thing is, is when I got there, someone else from another department was like, you're Stacey Graham, huh? Like, I've been getting all of your junk mail. Like, like it was, <laughs> yeah. So that's how, that's how I got the internship there. But it's funny because everyone there had like a crazy story like that. So uh, one, one guy used to drive from Albany every week to go talk to someone in like the production department. Um, it was just everyone, I feel like everyone I knew there had a crazy story about how they got there. But I think that's a real life example of you want something, you have to go get it, like truly manifesting your destiny. Like, okay, you can pray about it, you can write it down, but you got to put a little work into this and your work panned out for you in the best way. You were once watching something and now you are there on okay. the scene. Yes, yes, yes. And I, and I mean, I think once I, I was watching like Will Smith on YouTube one day, he said, you have to make a decision. Some, so, so many times, like we don't make a decision 
And so we get nothing because we haven't decided. Even if we make the wrong decision, at least we know not to go that way again. But if we just make a decision and decide to stick with that decision and to like take actions for that decision, then we will manifest whatever it is that we want. Because like you have to, you're too deep into it. At this yeah. Point. Holy moly. So getting so getting into your book, um, you have one essay called "Grieving Someone I Never Met," mm-hmm. and there was a and as, it's funny we thought we're talking about Will Smith. I wrote down a quote that you have in there. It was like how we all felt when they changed the actress for Aunt Viv's character on The Fresh Prince of Brilliant. Oh, yeah. And for many people, me included, that was like a heartbreak moment. I was like, you're yeah. gonna act like that's not the same lady. And yeah. we know that's not the same lady. What do you mean? We just, you just can't replace right. what's going on here. They didn't even have the same demeanor. They didn't no. look alike, nothing. Nothing at all. It was, it was, it was wicked. It's a betrayal. That's what it was. It true. It truly <laughs> was. You're right. Let's call it what it is. This was a betrayal. <laughs> they tried to pull an okie doke on this, but in this essay, it's about it's about your grandmother, correct? Your yeah. great grandmother. My mother's mother. My grandmother. Yeah. Your grandmother, and mm-hmm. it was. It's interesting because you you point out that folks were just like everyone loved Minnie. That mm-hmm. Minnie was this this phenomenal person and. You speak about how it's like, well, I you you would have wanted to met her, and it's like not having that chance and hearing all these great things and seeing these pictures. I feel like in black families or anyone's family, really, it's always that one loved one. I had an aunt Minnie too. I didn't get to mm. meet her either. So, but there, very similar. There was always be like a picture. People's like, oh, Minnie was just the most delightful thing. She was just happy all the time, and you hear that enough. It's like, okay, well, you know, I want to meet Minnie too. Like, yeah. I want to hang out with this loved one and everyone has all these stories and you don't have them. It's like, okay, well, can you all talk about this amongst yourselves? Right. And (laughs) I I felt like I knew her, like they talked about her so much and so positively and so concretely that I felt like I knew her and I like would dream about her. Um, Mm. And, but I didn't know her. And I remember my dad saying, because my grandfather, was a very good cook, but he was like, she cooked even better than your grandfather and you'd be fat now if <laughs> if she was still living. And it was just like, she was missing. That's what it felt like, she was missing. Um, it's like, where is she? Where, like, how can I access her? Right. Um, yeah, it just felt like she was missing. Or like, I, I just came just a hair too late. Like I, did, I missed yeah, just the missed out. Her, yeah. Holy moly. But how can can you give a little insight for folks who may be experiencing something similar of how how it was grieving or missing someone that you haven't necessarily met? Um, I think talking about I found joy in talking about her um, with people who were willing to talk about her. I didn't find that my grandfather talked about her much, but my mom talked about her, my dad talked about her. And I liked looking at pictures of her and her sister, one of my great aunts, she always carried around a picture of her so I could ask her questions. So it was kind of like putting the, it's been kind of like putting the pieces together, like a puzzle, like, well, what's she like, you know, was she like this? Or, you know, she like, I know she liked to go to church and I know she baked well. And I know that, you know, she was a very benevolent kind of person. So it was almost like, um, doing some kind of like mystery, solving some kind of mystery. And then trying to find out like, am I, how am I like her 
and and what have I carried? What traits have I carried from her? So that way I can carry her with me, even though I haven't met her directly. It's, I'm still finding out, like putting the pieces together and then taking what I can with me so that she continues to live on. It kind of it's an interesting point because it's like when you think about your ancestors and folks like your grandparents, it's like it's our role to see where they fit in in us and mm -hmm. what parts of them that we can highlight. Because there was one part in the book you, you said in this particular essay that she was supposed to be the grandma that was a grandma because you said your other grandma, you have to call her Evelyn. It's like, yeah, well, this is it's not that same old school grandma. Yeah, concept. no, this was the old school grandma. This was the one that would bake for you and, you know, fatten you up and take you to church with her and give you the, the mints in the pew. Yeah. And you had, you had the candies in the story. You had that in your book too. And I and the way you describe things in your writing is so clear and it's so your life, your writing is so relatable. It doesn't lack in vernacular vocabulary, but it's very captivating because it feels like you are, it's like someone sitting next to you on this journey as you take them through your memory. Like your writing is very phenomenal in that Thank way. You. Thank you. No, of course, you can tell when folks are practicing their craft and when you're writing about something that's passionate, it, it you can't, it's undeniable. And throughout this whole book, it's like, I, I just feel like we're close. <laughs> <laughs> we could be. <laughs> we could be, without a doubt. I think we should be. Um, and then you have, there's one um, essay called, Where's Your Mom? And where where's your mom? I don't, it hit home, be given that Women's History Month and as a person who has lost their mom, it's anything that's mom related, I find it, I don't, I don't know, it hits me a little different these days, but there was one line in it where, where you said she didn't reschedule or postpone, she just canceled. And and that, that hits different. And having experienced that as well, it's like, all right, okay, so what what's the problem here? What is it, it really makes, you can go into questions of, is it me or is it things uh -huh. like that? But I feel like as as children, we well, we're not children anymore. But given you know, in the parent child dynamic, there are things that our parents are going through or have been through that they haven't healed from, uh -huh. and we're catching the reactions of that, the effects of that. But that's not our monkey to carry. That's not our our situation in reading that and just reading the story, the, the dynamic is interesting. And I wanted to ask you, how do you, how do you keep your joy? Because there are a lot of things with having someone who's like as close as like a parent and for that relationship to be very interesting within itself. It seems throughout the book, though, so you've always put your best foot forward about it. And I, I know at some point I, I need that as well for my other parents. So I still struggle with that. My mother and I, you know, I, I don't know if she read the story, but she knows the story exists. So she did reach out to me. And I think that um, my children have brought us closer because she, you know, she wants to have a relationship with my children because she's their grandmother. So that has brought us, um, you know, back talking more regularly. Um, I know that she still like you said, she has her own things that she goes through. And I try to be more um, like forgiving. I was very not forgiving and very angry about it. Like, how come you're not here? And But now that I'm a mom, I can kind of like understand a little better, like 
okay, she has her own things that she's going through. I can't be the center of her universe. Um, so I try to be like more patient and more understanding. And if she needs space, I try to give her space. I try not to, you know, ask her a lot of questions or push her. Um, Cause I'm nosy and I'm like, where are you? Where, where are you? You know, I want to know everything, but she's, she's more introverted than I am. And so I have to, I have to respect her in that way. So I'm, I'm still learning. I'm not great at this yet, but it's, um, it's, it's, it's a learning process and I'm trying to just, you know, give her her space. And, you know, when we feel like connecting, then we connect. And I try to just, I try to be very present with her. So if she feels like being around and I feel like being around and we're getting along, then I try to let it just be that moment. Um, and I try, you know, if she feels like being away, I try to, or if I need space, I just try to honor that also. So I, it's, it's just taking it like one moment at a time. Right, meeting folks where they are. Cause I, I feel like as we get older, our parents are parental figures or folks yeah. who have filled that role for us. I think we are moving out of kind of not this fantasy idea of them, but understand that they're a person too. Yeah. And some folks, some someday you may be feeling it, but then someday you just got to like really put yourself in a bubble because we put ourselves in bubbles. And I applaud you for saying present because I think that was something I may, I'm lacking that mm -hmm. if I don't, I'm thinking, okay, well, why do I need to be present when you haven't been present, but I want you to be present. So I really, I got to give what I'm asking for. You know, Jay-Z says something like, our time together is our time together and our time apart is our time apart. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of like how I go into the relationship. And, and I also learned that just because our relationship may be a little strained at times, I appreciate, like, she has sacrificed a lot for me. And so when somebody can do that, it's weird. Like when somebody can make those sacrifices for you, and then still not be emotionally connected to you the way that they are. I mean, that's a different kind of, I guess, love language. Yeah. Um, and so understanding that she shows love differently than I do, or she shows, she gives love in a way differently than I expect to receive it. I have to understand that too, because I know the love is there because she, did so much for me. Like she worked very hard for me and she put me in private school and she made sure I went to dancing school and she took care of me and she made sure, you know, I had nice clothes and I was clean and I ate. And and even now, like her way of showing love is like she brings gifts and she, um, she gets on me about the way I eat and she makes sure I eat healthy and she nags me about this and that and that. And mm -hmm. I know that's her way of showing love and I might not always be ready to receive that, but I have to know and understand that the love is there. It's just, I have to turn, I have to, you know, realize that that's her way of showing love also. And what love looks like for different folks, you are, you just have so many groovy important points that, <laughs> that stick out. Cause I think we, we imagine love is like, you know, this traditional relationship is like hugging and calling and this and that. But for a lot of, of our people, especially black, cause that older black generation, they showed love through providing. They showed yeah. love that you had a roof over your head, you had food, that they're giving you everything they didn't have. They may not be able to show that and reflect that emotionally, but it's there. And I think sometimes that, that'll make us look outside of ourselves and start, we have to kind of 
open our lens a little bit and be unique to what we're looking at. Yeah, definitely. And I think it shows um, even when we, no one can be upset with the cards they're dealt. I mean, you can, but what, how it is, is how it is. Nobody can, you come into this world, how, how you come into it with the situations that you come into. But in your, one of your next stories after this, after the Where's Your Mom story is Corey's mom. And oh, yeah. you have a quote that says, although I resented the absence of my mother, I've had so many phenomenal women come into my life and show me how to be a stand-up woman. Mm-hmm. And like, I had to sit back. I had to sit back because I think that's, I felt that on some we, we do cuss here, but I try not to sometimes. It's okay. <laughs> I felt that on some real shit because it's like that's that's what happens. I think that's like God'll set it up like, okay, this is this is what I need you. This is what I need you to have primarily because I'm trying to mold you to a certain type of person. But to fill in those gaps, here are these cycles of women, whether it's in school, whether it's an auntie, whether it's someone who can fill that place or give you that love that you may not see. Um, from who you may want it from. So can you talk about some of the phenomenal women and stand-up women in your life? Um, Yeah, so I think when I was in high school, I had um, my god sister, and we still talk to this day. Her name is Carla. Hey, Carla. (laughs) She... she came into my life like when everybody, when my parents were splitting up and um, my grandmother had just died. And so my, my home life was changing, but she was like a very stable person for me. And she still is in my life to this day. And we're, you know, we, we are very close. Um, And who else? I guess, I guess there's been like so many, um, Right now, I would say there's a, a, a woman named Annie, and mm-hmm. I talk to her. She's a, she's kind of like an elder, and um, she got me through some tough times. I was married and got divorced, and my um, husband, he was very sick at one time, and she just taught me through that whole experience. She taught me how to, like, listen to God. She taught me how to, like, you know, not just pray and ask God for a whole bunch of things, but also like, listen, she explained it to me. Like, you don't just call a friend on the phone and talk and hang up. Like you listen Mm -hmm. for a response. Mm. And so, (laughs) and so I, I have carried that with me. I mean, even now, like, even I think it comes out in my writing, like writing is a way for me to listen and to be closer to the person inside of me, to the spirit inside of me. Um, when I get angry, I write and I see like, okay, it's almost like two selves. Like, okay, like what's going on here? Does this make sense? You know, I just let everything out. I just brain dump. I'm mad because this, it does this. So then I go back, okay, does this make sense? Is this realistic? Are you putting, are you putting uh, realistic expectations on the person that you're mad at? Um, so I would say her, I know I'm forgetting people, but I, I often look at, um, my great aunt, Aunt Lil, um, she has been a very stable, we're not as close, you know, I don't see her all the time. We're not like, we're not in our lives, like on a daily, daily basis, but I love going to her house. She's just such a warm, caring person. She's very family oriented. Um, she loves my children. 
She gives the best hugs. She's a great cook. She's just, she's amazing. Um, I, th I think about my friends. Um, I don't know. There's been so many that I could, I could, I could, I'm probably gonna write an essay about this. <laughs> <laughs> but when I think of like adult women, I think, I think those, I think about my aunt Joyce, who um, she lives in Illinois and she has been a social, social justice warrior out there for black children and education. Um, and she was like the first person in my family that really did that kind of work. And I was just, she's just such a strong, positive woman. And she always encouraged me. Um, I think about my great grandmother, her, we called her mama. She Whoa. was like the matriarch of our family. This is, um, I and I, I wouldn't even, and when you say fill in the gap, I wouldn't even call it like a gap. I think, I think I was, I don't know. I think I'm supposed, I was supposed to, you know, encounter all of these women in this way. So I don't even know if it was a gap that had to be filled, but just, it was, I guess, ordained for me to meet and have these relationships with these women. Word. Uh, you're right. Filling the gap isn't the correct word. More like nutrients, like folks pouring into just folks to guide you on your journey. Um, and then the next story that um, spoke out to me that I literally cracked up because I felt the same way. I felt like I'd been robbed. Like, how could Hillman be fake, Stacey? How could <laughs> Hillman be fake? How could they take you on this journey of a different world when it's like, what do you mean we can't go? What do you mean? You said it was in Virginia. Like, is it behind Hampton? Is it in the cut? Like, I, just, I just knew I was going to Hillman. <laughs> I just knew it. And so that was another one. My grandmother, she was the modern Evelyn. She was the modern grandmother. She took me on my first flight, um, my first airplane ride. We went to a family reunion in Bastrop, Louisiana. What? <laughs> um, but she was that grandmother. She took me to happy hour with her when I was nine downtown New Haven. Um, I went out with her and her friends. You know, I ate the hors d'oeuvres while they drank their wine. Like she was the fly grandmother. She was the let's go shopping kind of grandmother. Um, a glamma. Yeah, definitely a glam. She was always the first one who had the newest technology. She was the first one with a microwave and a yes, and microwave an answering, <laughs> and a camcorder and an answering machine. So, yeah. But I, oh, I brought her up because I would go to her house on Thursday nights. And we would watch the Cosby show in a different world. And we'd have these conversations about education and where I was going to go to college. And I told her I'm going to Hillman. And she's like, no, 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 you're not. So then um, we talked about Spelman and she told me I could go to Harvard. And she just she just told me that I was that I could do anything I wanted to like educationally, so. And it's, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm making this face because it's getting spooky, Stacy. <laughs> I have a great aunt named Lil. Have, oh, do you? I, I wanted to go to Spelman, like nobody's business. Me Once too. I found out that Hillman was fake, okay, this is the next best thing. This is where I need to go. Like it's just man black. It's, that's what I came to. I came to Connecticut looking for a Hillman experience. I was wrongly mistaken. One, I went in the wrong direction. I went up. I should have went down. Oh, that's so funny. 
<laughs> I felt I felt I was watching a, um, a documentary that said that a they had talked about a black college coming to New Haven, but I guess the city officials at that time said it wasn't appropriate. Uh, yep, that that is very true. And they got together. I think that was in uh, Mr. Uhuru Williams' book. I forgot what it was called, but yes, that's a fizzle fact. And you figure there's a lot, there's a there's a large Southern black population here from the Great Migration. So it's mm -hmm. like it would have made sense. There's perfect a Greek, sense. There's a, there's a high Greek presence here. It would have made perfect sense. But the people way wouldn't have been ready for that. Which which leads me to another point in your book that I really stood out when you were talking about um trouble at work. And you said, well, maybe I'll just move. Hmm. Um, and then it says, uh, I, I wrote the page down, page 94. Because I just, the page 94 was a ride because I'll read it. So you have, when you try to imagine what it's like to be, to be free from thinking about your skin color or hair texture for a day, and you remember that freedom in a few other countries you visited, but it hurt your soul that you can't have this freedom in your own home, in your own neighborhood, in your own city, state, or country. Maybe I'll just move. I always say to myself, but who will stay and change things? We're already fleeing our own neighborhoods, leaving them in despair and letting gentr gentrification be. And that is, is sunk because that's truly what's happening. Mm -hmm. It's like at first they every there was a white fleet in several cities, but now they're coming back. And now it's like, okay, well, we've made this our home. We've made it our own. And y'all are making us uncomfortable. And it's like, we see folks moving. Many people are going to Georgia, Atlanta, mm -hmm. or Houston. But for those of us who are sticking it out, who have chose to stick it out, it's kind of like you're on a mission. It's kind of like, you're fighting for your neighborhood in a sense. You are, and it's interesting the way you put it because it's like we find value in our neighborhoods and then they leave, and then the white people leave, and then we leave because we don't find them valuable anymore, and then they come back. Right. It's like, it's like, why didn't we just stay? It's a, it's a <laughs> never ending conversation, and I feel like now. And I know. No, go ahead. Like, no, I, was, you. I was gonna say, and in some cases, I know that we're forced out. Um, I can't think of the word right now, but I, I know we're forced out and our properties are bought and we're told that we have to leave because they're building a school or because whatever reason they have. But in a lot of cases, we left New Haven and decided to move to Hampton or to Cheshire and now white people are coming back. Eminent domain, thank you. Um, and now white people are coming back and saying, oh, that you were right, that land was valuable. We just didn't like it while you were there. And that and that and that's the skinny and the scoop, right? Yes. That's what this is really about. Now that we've moved, you want to come back, but it's uh -huh. like, okay, you're not treating it with the same vigor we were treating it. Like, even if you look at Winchester, Mm -hmm. Folks who are on the New Hall side of Winchester are not going to Fussy Coffee. That's just not what's happening. Right. It's right. Just, and those folks don't even come this way. So there's a lot of classism in these neighbor in cities across the country, not even just in Connecticut. But I, I feel a different energy around it now. I feel like the young people who were there, 
who are folks aren't we're not budging. It's like you're not just gonna come in here and make us uncomfortable and make us want to leave again. You I forced like our energy. you forced our mm -hmm. parents out. This this ain't that because at the end of the day, if we just keep being scarcity broken up, where are we going to where are we gonna stay at? Where are mm -hmm. we going to settle and be like, okay, this is this is our neighborhood. This is, this is our neighborhood. Are. This is our history. This is what we're passing down to our children and their children. Um, yeah, we we have so much history, but we just keep getting shuffled around and, and forced out and being told that we don't belong when we do. We do. I wrote an, I wrote an article um, a few years ago about how um, I could trace my, you know, my American heritage back to like, you know, before my great grandparents and the, their great grandparents, you know, that made me more American than some people who got here from Italy or wherever, Europe, wherever in Europe they came from. Like that makes me more American than you. If I can trace back my lineage on this soil, you know what I mean? So we right. belong here. We. As we know, we've built this country. Yes. We've, we've spent the most time here, definitely against our will, but we're here and we've been here. Yes. So, and I feel like a lot of time that's disregarded by folks who have immigrated to this country. Mm -hmm. That wasn't a situation. And I hate when it's explained that way. No, people who immigrate somewhere or you migrate somewhere is by your own choice. That's not what happened. Don't paint that as that what that's what happened. That's not the case. Right. But our roots are here and our roots are here deep. Nothing that's here would be here without us. Absolutely. So in these last 20 minutes, I wanted to spend this time talking about FAMU. Okay. And I wanted to talk about your friends that you had when you got there, your homegirl, Taylor, because I think your story about um, you and Taylor's relationship is a lot of insight to how, how you maintain friends when you get older mm -hmm. and what it looks like to keep a good friend. Because I've had some friends like you lose contact and it's like, wow, that was a really good person in my life. And it's like you can't it's not like you're going to school every day in high school. and You see the same person will will be well, I'll see you in class. So this is fine. We don't have to talk right now. You definitely then, have to put more effort into it. Um, and, you know, I've lost some connections and with Facebook and everything, it's become a little bit more easy to um, rekindle some of those connections. Um, I don't know where where we were, but the love is still there. And I hope that when COVID is over that we can, you know, connect and our kids can meet and play together and we can catch up and maybe make up for lost time. I always I'm a person that believes the future is always better than the past. So that's a word. I, I believe I believe that we can, you know, make things right and make things better than they were. Without a doubt, and I think some things happen for a reason. Like, like people shift during a mm -hmm. certain season, just to show, like, one you can do that you can maintain this on your own. But that when you do get this person back, like, okay, this this was great. Maybe we needed this time apart so we can appreciate each other and not make the same mistakes. And sometimes, sometimes space makes you realize who's important and who's not. And when you long, when you long for a friendship or you long for a person, it makes you, you know, appreciate them that much more. Because I know if we're ever that close again, I'm not gonna let that happen again. So, 
And I think I, it just gave really clear insight to like sisterhood. And I know yeah. you're in a sorority as well. Mm-hmm. What sorority are you in? I'm an Alpha Kappa Alpha. All right now. <laughs> okay. And I think, I'm sorry, I just love it when you see like other Greeks and just like, hey girl, how you doing? What's up? I didn't oh, know yeah. that. Because it was in the book, but it never said like who you were a part of in the mm. book. So when you have sisterhoods like Africa that you're already into and you think about sisterhoods that you develop as friends and being grown, are you noticing that it's not really in number anymore? Now it's like a few good friends that you have. Absolutely. Um, I feel like my number, because I was always a person with a lot of friends and I was never really part of one group. I was the person that bounced around from group to group. Um, but I feel like as I've gotten older, yeah, I have like three friends, three like really deep friends that I, and now it's like, I only really want people in my life that I can tell the, the deepest stuff to. Like when you, when I was younger, I didn't care about having a lot of like surface level friends. Um, I still have some of them, but I think of them more as, as acquaintances now. I don't call everybody friend now, but now I have like three friends and I can call them and we can talk to each other. This is me and this girl shaving in the shower, talking to her friend. And the girl's like, I'll call you back. She's like, no, no, you don't need to call me back. Like, tell me the story. Like, I like friends like that. Like, you can see me at my worst, um, you know, when I just wake up in the morning and I got two ugly cornrows in my head, you know what I mean? Like, and you're not going to say anything and we just keep talking. Like those are, those are the friends I like. That's what stick. That's what matters because it's not really how many people is who can you really rely mm-hmm. on? I'm, I'm grateful for my sorors. I'm sorry. I'm a part of Zeta Phi Beta. Oh, yeah. uh, Word. And I've run, I've learned that I've cherished my sorority so much more, especially the sisters I came in with. It's like there was eight of us and I, I, I learned that it's okay. And this whole, there's so many sisters, there's so many folks, but it's like, okay, you are all who I, who I can pour into and you'll pour into me the mm-hmm. same way. And I feel like friendships now, you have to be able to pour into me the same way I'm pouring into you. It has to be an iron sharp and iron situation wood can never sharpen iron. I don't think mm. there's any room for for anything else at this age because I don't know. I, I feel like you can grieve a friend very similar to how oh, you can absolutely. grieve someone who you were with. Sometimes it's worse. Definite, definitely. Because it's like I've spent so much time with you and now it's time, like... Time, energy. I told you my deepest, darkest secrets and now you just out in the world. <laughs> we're not even like, we're like, you just out in the world with my secrets. you may have that eye contact moment like listen i know what i know you know what you know but let's keep it cute and let's keep it to right, ourselves right, right. because we agreed that this this isn't that um another thing um that came up that didn't come up well while in your experience at family you spoke about love and you spoke about your first love uh-huh. And for for young women who may be getting ready to go to college and have to, you know, you may run into a young man, however, however that may go, or a partner that you love. Can you speak about that? Because I feel like your freshman year, there's usually one person that you, you're dealing with or that you love or that, for me, it was I love them. They didn't know that I love them. I was like, I love you. We're together. But you're doing too much for me. Yeah. So it's funny because... 
freshman year, I remember this couple. They were, I, I, I don't know if they were both from Ohio, but I remember at least one of them was from Ohio and they were just all over each other and they were always together. And I said, I am not gonna be like them. I am not getting him the freshman year. That is not going to be me. And it was, and then it turned into me. And I was all, I mean, I was in this boy's dorm, sneaking in the boy's dorm room. Like then we moved to the same college complex. Like I, I mean, I turned into who I said I wasn't going to be. Um, I don't know. I don't know what I would tell. Uh, I just, I guess I would tell a freshman or anyone just to listen to yourself and do not, you know, they call them red flags, but I wouldn't even consider them red flags. Just always check in with yourself to see like how you're feeling. If something doesn't feel right or it doesn't sound right, then it's probably not right. But always check in with yourself to see how how you're feeling. Um, just, oh yeah, just check in with yourself and don't betray yourself. If you feel like something's not right, then don't go along with it anyway. Um, and just trust that if you don't go along with it and the person leaves you or whatever, then you'll find somebody else. Because, I don't know, I feel like when we're in college, everything seems so serious. It's like, this is only what's oh, yeah. happening right now. It's like, my life is over. This like, no, this, this is a small piece of a bigger plan. I definitely thought that. I thought everything was so serious. So serious. But I think when we sent when we were sent off to college and for a lot of folks, like, okay, well, folks have worked really hard for me to get here. So I have to do the above and beyond. I, I know for me, it was, I'm the only person who necessarily have gotten this far in my family. So I knew I was riding for the whole hood. Like, mm-hmm. it was like, okay, there is no going back. Like, I can't, I can't, there's no room for a C or F or anything like that because these people have invested. They've invested their money, their time. They're dropping me off places that they don't really know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. It's like, she's gonna, it's gonna pan out in the end. So I think that we already were given that stress, or I don't know, it's, it's what you say is responsibility that can manifest into stress, or is it just stress? Um, it can be stressful if you're not putting your own wants and desires first, like if you want to be a Spanish major, but your people from home are like, oh, you're not going to make any money doing that. And they're the money, they're people who are paying for college. You know what I mean? Or they're the people who are sending you food and money and clothes. Every, You know what I mean? If they're the people, if they're your biggest supporters and they're the ones that are telling you what's not going to work when you want it to work, then yes, it becomes stressful. Um, I felt like I couldn't fail or I couldn't, um, I couldn't make a mistake because I went to Hopkins. Like mm. I was already, kind of, my dad, I remember my dad used to say, we spent all that money for you to go to Hopkins and you're going to fam you. So I felt, already felt a little like, you know, like, all right, I'm, I'm going to this black school after they sent me to Hopkins. So I felt a little pressure in that way. Like I had to make something of myself. I had to do something because I took this risk, you know, so. But you went where your heart led you, even when you changed your major. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not advantageous to be doing something, just be doing it to other people because it's going to show in the work, you're going to lose interest. Like I was a business management major as well, just because Ooh. it sounded cool 
That yeah. was it. That's all I was exposed to. I had no business. I have no interest in the what goes into that. You got to be really built and cut out for that. But you don't know that at eight. I mean, well, maybe some people do. I didn't know that at 18 and 19. I just felt like, you know, I know that if I can tough out this these five years, I'll have an MBA and that'll be great. And I'll make a lot of money and I'll have a place to live and I will have a nice place to live and I'll you know, I don't. I have a nice car, and uh, right. Survival <laughs> is making these decisions. Yeah. Like, okay, I know what I can attain with this, so I'm just gonna have to rock this out. Yeah. But then I feel like life and God will be like, well, let's not. How about we do this? Mm-hmm. Would you like? Let me expose you to this person or this opportunity. Um, and also in your college experience, I I wanted to touch base with you because I think it's important for young women to have this conversation, especially not just because it's Women's History Month, but just in general. Mm-hmm. You were in college and you made a choice that was best for you. Mm-hmm. And for some young women, they may experience that and that they may feel like, okay, well, maybe I need to go through with this. I'm not ready, but let me do this. But I wanted to applaud you because everything in that decision you made was for you. And I think keeping that mindset is important. Like, I understand you love me. This is cool. We could rock this out. We could do, you know, you said you're going to change. This is fantastic. You're going to take care of me. You're going to take care of what we got going on in here. It's going to be great. It's going to be a yeah. cool little family. But I can't bank on that. And right. I can't bank on your word. So can you speak a little bit about, and then it's up to you how deep you go into it, but the power in making a decision for you and how it has affected you thereafter and choosing yourself and how you, for someone who may be making that decision or may have had to make that decision. So so when I was ni- 19, I had an abortion. And at that time, I didn't feel all the things that you were saying. I didn't feel empowered. I didn't feel like I was making a decision for myself. I felt like there was no other option. I just felt like I had to finish school. I had things that I wanted to do. I wasn't ready. I didn't feel like I was ready to be a mother at 19 or 20. Um, I just, it it didn't feel like I was making, I I didn't feel strong when I made that decision. I just felt like I was backed into a corner and that was what I had to do. Um, Because my, my parents always told me that once you have a baby, like your life is no longer about you. And so, I knew at 19, like, there's still a lot of things that I need to do. Like, what am I gonna, like, how am I going to have, cause the guy I was with, he was all, he wanted me to have the baby. He was saying, you know, babies are a blessing from God, and they are, cause I have two of them. But at that time, I just didn't see it that way. I was afraid. Um, I knew that I had to finish college and now, I mean, now what you're saying is true. Like I did choose myself. Um, and sometimes even to this day, I wonder if I made the right choice, you know, having two children now and seeing how wonderful and how disciplined they've made me. Like, I wonder, there are times I wonder who I would have become if I was uh, a younger mom, if I would have developed that discipline earlier or if I just would have dropped out of school. I don't know. But at that time, I felt like there was no other choice. Um, and so, I I knew that we might break up, which ended up happening. And I just said, okay, but I still have to do this thing. <laughs> like, I can't, I'm sorry. Like, I can't, 
can't be a mom at like at 20. That's just how I felt, man. So sometimes, yeah. sometimes doing the right thing, it doesn't feel like the right thing for you at that time. So you always have to just, that's what I'm saying about checking in with yourself. Like what feels right to you at that time? It might not feel like a big, like important thing or movement that you're, you know, it just, sometimes you just have to do the next right thing for you. It's not like I was like thinking about who I was going, to, I mean, I was thinking about who I was going to become, but it didn't feel like I was making it important. I, I don't even know, it was important, but it just, I didn't think about it as choosing myself. I didn't think about it as profoundly as you put it. I just felt like this is what I have to do. And thank you for sharing that with us and also sharing it in your book and your writing. And I hope for folks who are watching and who have had just in general to understand and to understand like you have to check in with yourself. You never want to move too hesitant. You never want to move in feeling or in anger. So any decision that you're making, take the, take the time to look at it and examine it. And if for any young women who've had to make that choice, I know for me, it's like, I, I can't do that right now. I can't have nobody's child right now. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I know what's, I know what's riding on. I know who's banking on me. So as a woman, I, folks, folks have a lot of opinions of our body and what we should be doing with our body. Once yeah. again, it's our body, whatever we say goes, because no matter no matter how it went, it was still an experience that you had to deal with, mm -hmm. that you have to do. Men don't have to think of it or carry it or deal with, with the same feeling in the same way. And I feel like as women, I want to encourage us to stand in our choices and stand in the autonomy of our body. No one else is in it but us. No one else is washing it but us, okay? To be really frank, no one's changing these paths but us. Mm -hmm. So it's not to let anyone influence your decision of what you feel is right or what you feel is best for you. Um, and I'd say that with a, with a little bit more vigor because I have a niece in college mm. and she's she's off in the world, you know? Yeah. And I remember being off in the world and it's like, I feel like these are gems that you need to know as a young woman, as you're maneuvering, you got the final say. They think it's a man's world, it's truly not. No, it's your world. It's your world because you have to live it. You're the only one living your world. And even if you allow somebody else to make a decision for you, you still have to bear the consequences of that decision that someone else made for you. So that's why I say, like, that's why I always try to check in with myself. How do I feel about this decision? Can I live with this decision? Because um, I'm, I'm just walking around with me, you know? So. Without a doubt. Now we are coming to our last five minutes. This went by really fast. I'm telling you, a good conversation will do that. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, what do you have coming up next? What's on the horizon for Stacy? What should folks be tuning into? So I am writing my column for the New Haven Register and the other Hearst papers. I'm, I've been writing, um, working on like another book. Um, so I'm excited about that. Uh, I'm not sure how it's, so these they come together so like organically. So mm -hmm. I'm just I've just been writing and I'm seeing how um, it's gonna come together. But yeah, I have been writing um, for the paper and then also you know for myself personally. So the essays 
the essays are still there. I look forward to um, sharing essays again on Thursday mornings because that was really fun. So I'm hoping to do that again soon. I was I was gonna ask, is it still going down on Thursday mornings? No, but I would love to, it was so much fun. It was so much fun. So I, I that is something that I really enjoyed. Um, it was so scary to like put myself out there like that, but it was so like rewarding to see how many people connected um, with my stories like in real time. Cause a lot of authors don't have that, you know, you just write a, a book and then you don't know, you know, how people are connecting with it. But I got to see in real time people connecting with stories. So I definitely would like to do that again. Cause you never know who's going through what or what someone else isn't willing to share, but by mm -hmm. you sharing those stories and you being vulnerable and you taking that leap, for many people, it probably was like, okay, I got to follow in Stacey's courage. If she can share this and if she can talk about this, maybe I can deal with it yeah. a little bit better. So we have to give you your flowers for that, for being oh, that you. powerhouse and being transparent. Because it takes a lot of courage to do that. It's not, you're not just ranting on Facebook. You said like, I'm oversharing. <laughs> but, for some, but sometimes that's needed when God puts it on our heart to share and to just be like, you'd be like, you want me to? Yeah. That's what that's exactly what it was. <laughs> like why why? Why? But yeah, no, that's exactly what it was. But then, you know, like you said, people were I was getting a lot of feedback. People were like, please keep sharing. Even men, even men were like, Thank you for sharing this. Um, because they might not have considered it, you know, things that they were going through from a woman's perspective, or you know, they might have had a like you said, a niece or a sister or the mother might have gone through something like that. And now they you know, are privy to that. Or maybe they went through something like that mm -hmm. and they didn't have the words for it, you know? So, yeah. So I wanna thank you. We're gonna have Miss Ife come back. And I'm just so grateful. Nothing is by coincidence. I'm glad that this was, this was our first time fully meeting and we got to spend this time together today. Me too, I hope we get to spend more time together. Yes, please. I want to put my number in the chat, Stacey. Okay. <laughs> yeah, please do. I put mine in there, too. Oh, I can't hear Ife. I was muted. Okay. Um, I want to say I. it's so wonderful to have to end um, our to, to have our uh, Women's History Month celebration with you all uh, uh, with the theme of resilience and how we cope because your book is very revealing and I, I purposely wanted Sha to speak with you because you're younger women hmm. and 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 the the resilience the women's history you're making it now hmm. you no know? At 61, I don't need to have my voice in this. <laughs> I And it warms my heart to hear that what you all are doing and how you are, are coping and your resilience and moving on and, and sharing the and, and young women getting this book. Like people think they're the only ones going through something. Mm. Right. And then they they seeing your story or hearing your your story, reading this book, they'll definitely know they're not the only ones going through this, and that you get through it. You get through and it. You still have joy because look at you. 
Look at you. You're glowing. <laughs> Thank you. That's right. You go through it and you can, you can, you can, you can go, we can go through many things. Yes. And yes. still have joy. And just to let you all know, there are many, many, there are other points in the book that, that they didn't cover. So you got to get the book. Okay. And we will put um, Stacey's information in, in our, on our Facebook page. And um, also I want to say thank you. Thank you again, Stacey, for, for gracing us with your presence this thank evening. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> I feel you honored to be invited. You and Shah had a very, very rich conversation. But and so we thank everyone for joining us. There's a whole bunch of like uh, com comments in our um in our Facebook chat. We had a few a lot of visitors and people listening. We thank you for joining Elm City Lit Fest. We'll see you in two weeks. Next month is is poetry month. Elm City Lit Fest is we also have a book club on the second Sunday of the month that is not on Facebook Live and our book next month will be I got my camera. Okay. Will be Black Girl Magic, Poetry by Black Women. Okay, we're gonna keep this theme going. <laughs> and again, we thank you, Stacy. We thank everyone for joining us. And we'll see you next month, Elm City Lit Fest podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Stacy. Thank you.